0: Hey, Green Living Guy here, just uh, getting ready to have one heck of a day. We've got a few green things happening today. One of them is uh, this event called Super Green Drinks that's happening in Norwalk that I'm heading over to. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Stephanie Iris Weiss, finally. We've been trying to get that interview going for a while, and I'll be interviewing her on our new book called Ecosex, but that's a whole other story. For today, we're going to talk about electric cars, um, plug-in hybrids, and what's important given the soil spill. I mean, let's take a look, people. It's being spilled every day, hundreds of thousands of gallons, barrels of oil. It's just it's getting to the point where I think now we're almost up to 50 times the size of the Exxon Valdez is what's gone out now. And I spoke recently with uh, somebody from Deepwater Horizon, the the, the group that, that is managing this cleanup or trying to, and they just, I, I hope it can work, and I hope we can really get them going, but it's just really weird how right now you see the administration just forwarding me over to them and it's like they're the ones that are running the show versus the administration and the administration say we're in charge but they're not even saying anything it's very weird people so um, you know, let, just keep that in mind uh, we recently saw the interesting electric cars coming out to fray we got a Nissan Leaf coming up I saw one of those over at the New York Auto Show that was so much fun Seeing those guys, I haven't seen them in so long. And they're coming out. 2012, global availability, but uh, 2010 basically is going to be starting to go on sale. And I think they already exceed about 16,000 cars have already been sold since the announcement and sign-up period has started. So they've already ex- gone into 2010 it's just unbelievable it it really shows where where we're headed and where we're going that people want these electric cars and if they just simply make them people will buy them <laughs> uh you know there are other ones coming out soon Mitsubishi just recently uh they're coming out in Japan with theirs they just recently Gave some as demos to the state of California, but uh, it'd be nice to bring some more here. Come on, Mitsubishi. Even though they're starting to sell them in Japan now, and inevitably they'll come over here. You know that they're doing Japan and Hong Kong right now with the Mitsubishi IMEV. If you want to check that out, and it's uh, the I capital M I capital EV. When you type that out on the uh, on the internet. And it's just interesting to see how many different opportunities there are coming up. You have Tesla, of course, with their Model S. And I've only heard positive things from Tesla about their sales, even though their uh, Roadster has uh, stopped production in some respects. They're still taking orders. So maybe it was for the model year. Who knows? because they're just still cranking it up, you know. BMW's coming out with a hybrid, unbelievably. We've seen the Mini E do some demonstrations, you know. That, that's okay. Demonstrations are good, and they're allowing people to release them, but uh, we really need to be able to see more of these cars being sold here. Mini should get the point. There shouldn't be a demonstration program. There should be a, a mass sale mass opportunity. And that's what what will really drive this marketplace is electric cars being sold just as much as gas cars are sold. And once you start doing that, you know, you're going to be able to have the costs of these cars come down in a massive scale, thereby only doing one thing. Well, it's kind of like BJ's, you know, you go to BJ's for what? One thing. You buy the same product, but you're buying it cheaper. Well, in this case, it, it, it changes that whole dynamic. Because now the cars with the batteries, and you're thinking, oh, those batteries are going to cost me so much, and they don't cost as much. So what do you want? Cars that cost much with batteries? Of course, cars that don't. You know, we've got technology today and there's new technology out there that we just aren't even talking about, and we should be, like nanotechnologies, that would really spur the electric car industry. It's going to really turn this out. You know, Then you also have the Chevy Volt, which, of course, that's been talked about for quite some time, and we'd like to see those cars out. Although, I've got to tell you, I had a friend of mine, Carl Vogel, who wrote the book, Build Your Own Electric Motorcycle, who took a test drive in that thing, and he had nothing but amazing things to say. And I just got a friendly little tweet there from Shannon Arvizu over at, uh, from Miss Electric. And I'm just talking about radio shows, so how ironic that she texted me. So I'm going to text her back saying, on radio want to talk, right, you know, hey, you can call too, people, don't be afraid, you know, I know, sometimes hard, but don't worry, you're calling numbers 347-637-3762. A couple other things we should talk about is, uh, oh, well, I just recently saw this interesting article about not liking uh, the book, Build Your an Electric Vehicle for Ordinary People, not the engineering types that would want to build your own electric vehicle, right? But he thought it was preposterous that ordinary people could like the book. Well, many different electric vehicle websites out there have considered it to be almost like the Bible for electric vehicles books. And so to throw that out is really being short-sighted for starters. And it's not just me. I'm not trying to talk about me at all. Anybody who knows me knows my ego is. I don't have a reason for an ego. And I don't like to. So to say that I'm I'm trying to make it that way is ridiculous. You know, I, I, I remember once hearing it from somebody else. They couldn't believe it. I mean, Bob Brandt wrote Build Your Own Electric Vehicle. And this book is really... Second edition is, is on, and what I tried to do with that book was say, you know, build your own electric vehicles is a great concept. At the time it was written in the 1970s, which, mind you, since the consistent up and goings, or how should I say, startups and shutdowns and startups and shutdowns with the electric vehicle industry over the multiple years, electric car conversions have been one of the oldest. They true, true and true things going on. So there's a network of people out there that can convert your car, help you convert your car. There are even companies now trying to even make it simple to convert your car, and I'm going to be talking with them too in the near future. And what do we do? We turn that off. We say the concept of build your own electric vehicle. I mean, the whole point of it is Tesla company in the United States, beating all the odds, they're building their own electric vehicle. That's what I said to the Elon Musk, the CEO of uh, Tesla. It, it, it just proves that people want them. Now we got Fisker coming out with their vehicles. I mean, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that we would have more hybrids on the road ...than we have today. Why? Because the free market wants it. Not the manipulated market. The free market wants it. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but we got a... I live near town, so it always works out <laughs> that the fire alarm goes off and you see them coming running. But I'm trying to have the interview, right? Have the discussion. So it's it's you know it's it's tough being the green living guy sometimes you got to live near town right you know to do the uh, the whole walking thing <laughs> so that you're not driving a lot but then you know when there's a fire <laughs> so fire is here well hopefully we will be okay and hopefully the people are safe but more importantly now you have all these different electric cars out there that are making it simple third-generation Toyota Prius-Harvard, and now they're talking about the the next generation is going to be a plug-in. I mean, those guys at plug in America, Felix Kramer, Chelsea Sexton, all those people working every, day and night, just like I'm trying to, beat the drum on electric cars because it's it really is the future of transportation. So many reasons. I mean... Do we need to go into it, especially now with the issues of oil? Well, it's creating the most largest environmental disaster in American history. Isn't that a sad state of affairs? They always say crisis creates change, but did we have to have such a bad crisis for it to create the change that we want? Did it really need to? I just, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I... Maybe I'm just too optimistic sometimes. (laughs) I don't know, but I try my best, uh, given how crazy things are in this world, to see things like that to be the way to help people understand enough's enough. I'm tired of this. I'm really tired of dealing with oil interests, dealing with... I mean, it's not the thing that these energy companies or these oil companies can't be energy companies. I thought BP was supposed to be beyond petroleum. It, it just doesn't make sense They're not beyond it. Now they're in it. <laughs> it might be the end of them that they were so interested in, 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 in having unregulated, unfettered, trust-us approach to safety on these oil rigs it just doesn't make sense it doesn't uh it just shows what an, what 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 is the most important thing that policy which creates change also can create some of the most horrific things out there that we've seen we've seen everything from bank failures we've seen everything all over the place and now We have to see this oil spill. And people will talk about this for a long time. I've been trying to get them right now to clean up on other things, but they're not doing it. They just want to stick to their version because they think it's the best and not hear other suggestions and try them, you know. It's kind of like I've been dealing with that with other issues, too, with other people. They just don't want to try new things. They just want to be stuck in their mires and believe what they believe but not move forward. Get something cleaned up. They're just letting it sit there and praying to God these 2.4 million things of boom are going to solve the problem. But it's not. And we're going to have now, I think, John Volker on the air from Green Car Reports. Hold on. John, you there?
1: Yes, I am. Sorry about that. I didn't see the message on the phone. Oh,
0: it's quite all right. Well, we're on the air, and I was just been talking about a wide variety of things, about Tesla, about Fisker, Uh, Think. I didn't even bring up Think, Good, good Lord. And then you have uh, the Fisker, you have the Volt, you have all these different cars coming out, and all these different electric cars, and it's just mesmerizing how... Things are turning around, and, of course, the uh, irony of the BP oil spill and why does a crisis have to create change or why does it have to be such a terrible crisis like this to create the change that we need to. And so tell me, John, where are we in your uh, from green car reports on the electric vehicle world this, this week, I guess, or this month, <laughs> past month, you know, uh, past few months since we've had the last wrap-up show.
1: Well, I think um, you mentioned the BP oil spill. Um, The auto industry is a fairly long lead one, and so I'm not convinced that the oil spill will have much of a direct impact on auto manufacturers' plans, although we hope that it raises consumers' awareness about some of the downsides of of, Mm -hmm. uh, using petroleum for transport. But I think as I look past all of the stuff I've done over the last month for green car reports and you know we cover diesels and other internet fuels as well as small gasoline cars plus all the plugins. Um, I think the the topic that generated some of the most discussion was really um, this Toyota Tesla deal mm-hmm. because it's It's one of those things that caught everybody totally by surprise I mean i you I don't know about your sources, but no one that I know, including a fair number of people deep inside the industry, saw this coming. You know Tesla had its deal with daimler mercedes benz, and um although Daimler had announced other deals with BYD and with Nissan Renault, who obviously are introducing the Leaf at the end of the year, the Leaf electric car. Right. You know, really no one saw Toyota and Tesla getting together. Now it's a fairly limited deal by far, and it solves a lot of problems for Tesla. You know, they get access to Toyota's range of parts, range of platforms, access to Toyota's really almost unparalleled manufacturing skills and knowledge. Um, They get capital, $50 million, um, and they get, perhaps most importantly, the Numi plant in Fremont, California, where Toyota used to assemble small pickups and GM used to assemble the Pontiac Vibe. The plant was shut down. The joint venture between GM and Toyota was wound down. Toyota really has a little bit too much capacity in this country right now, so that was an easy way for them to lose essentially half of a production plant once gm pulled out all right so tesla had been thinking of going down to southern california they were evaluating two plants no announcement no announcement then shazam they get new me okay got that solved the problem for them it's actually a car plant already although it's full of corolla equipment which doesn't do them a lot of good for the model s
0: no but but they can handle the change out on that's just about you know
1: yeah. I think they can make well,
0: some measurements here and there.
1: It does mean they don't have to build a plant from scratch right. out of something that wasn't in our plant before. So, Which is not a bad thing. gig.
0: Yeah, that's not... Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I still am fairly skeptical that they're going to be able to be begin production of the Model S by the end of next year, as they've said several times. And pretty much everybody I know views that with some skepticism. But I think the interesting thing about the deal is, what exactly does Toyota get out of this? so and here's here's where I sort of started with this. Um, Toyota has historically has been a very self-contained company yeah. they like to invent and refine things, and they take great pride and they like selling I, their parts out to the world right they like selling, exactly
0: yeah right. that's
1: that's a good point actually they're selling their hybrid system now to Nissan, and also they will be selling it to Mazda right. so you know and they they Take great pride in having developed the hybrid energy drive system. They've made about two thirds of all the hybrids on the globe today. So you know, for Toyota, and Toyota has never before invested in a non-Asian existing automaker. They bought a chunk of Subaru or Fuji Heavy. They they've owned a chunk of Daihatsu for many years. But you know, this to buy a piece of an American company, or I guess more accurately, to sign a contract that gives you the rights to buy a piece of American company just as it goes public is a fairly radical step. And so, you know, there are a number of competing theories. On green car reports, we actually sort of handicap them. But, you know, there's... <laughs> theory... <laughs> what are <laughs> and, some and of the notice... reasons that we come up with here? This This is a good one. Okay. Well, and if, if you, if you read the article, out. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, the handicappings add up to way more than 100%, um, okay. Okay. simply because we, I think there are multiple reasons for this. But one, one of them is simply to counter the remarkably favorable buzz that has developed around the Nissan LEAF. Um, you probably covered the news item that Nissan said its first year production is now completely yep. sold out. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of people did not expect that. And I have always maintained, as I'm sure... Well, i was the optimist, as the electric car lover. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think there is something about having an electric car and driving an electric car that transcends the simple dollars and cents. You know, if you look at all the data, people don't buy Priuses based on payback. They buy Priuses for exactly the same reason people buy Hummers, because they want to make a statement. Oh, yeah, I who they remember are.
0: you talking yeah. about this in a, in a story you talked about And I mentioned In a story that I di- didn't know if I, I I partially agreed with it But then I also know That there were early adopters I knew at least in THINK The THINK program uh-huh. That a lot of them weren't in it For the fashion statement They were in it because there was so much of an economic And transit based incentive
1: mm-hmm.
0: That they and given that they didn't have to fuel up
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, cuz we did I, what, we we did something which is quite interesting we tried to do which is what I love always tried to preach about what should happen which is we tried to make it as free market as possible one ninety nine a month, you get these free upfront parking spots, all these insurance incentives now go at it. Now of course there were the people that are the press people, you know, the people that love the idea of their fifteen minutes, so they went ballistic on it. But the majority of people were doing it for many other reasons than to be the I mean, I guess they were early
1: adopters. But I don't know if I, I, would, au, a I fashion, would argue though that there's a little bit of a difference between a car made by a major automaker and something like the Think. You know, the Think is specialized in a number of ways. It only has two seats, which automatically takes it out of the mainstream. And there are, you know, probably the vast majority of U.S. car buyers will never, ever buy a two-seater. It's just not flexible enough. Um, It's also made by a brand that basically no one's ever heard of, uh, except for the early adopters. So I think... As compared to the Prius yeah. and even to some extent the Nissan Leaf, uh, both of which are obviously five-door hatchbacks sold by major automakers right, with major automaker buyer, warranties yeah. and dealerships. Yeah, right, right. you're talking. I think for the think, well, the you're talking Ford's about backup, really though.
0: I'll give you the this. Smallest... Ford was backing it up at the same time. Uh, I'll, I'll throw that out. Yeah, there.
1: except uh, that's fair. Except I've talked to a number of people who had to. Beg and plead and badger their Ford dealers to pay any attention to the thing. That your experience may have differed there. I think but
0: I, I unfortunately, fortunately, but unfortunately, had an anomaly when it came to the yeah. clean commute program because that never happened when people were dealing with you know service issues or anything like that. But we were always trying to be on the ball, and there was a government. You know, we we were trying to make it work. It was So as carb, I will say we were an engaged carb, I guess. Yes, you know? yeah. <laughs> Much more hands on carb, I guess. But I go will ahead. say that you I think
1: f- um, Nissan dealers have been you know, not necessarily completely behind the leaf until they saw the demand. Oh they, they were never are behind are, it when it first came out the door. I bet you they were laughing our dealers the are balls simple off animals my friends. Like if it's people want to buy something, <laughs> yeah. they will you know, they will do whatever it takes to facilitate people handing them money. To buy yes. cars. Right. So, you know, the demand solves a lot, of, a lot of sticky issues. But anyway, so reason number one for Toyota doing the Tesla deal is simply they need some positive PR in general, given the whole sudden acceleration and recall. Yes. yes, yes. And they specifically need some positive PR because the Nissan Leaf is kind of the advanced green car of the moment, and the Prius is sort of like, oh, yeah, you're on another Prius, ho-hum. especially since the 2010 Prius, while it solves a number of the more glaring faults of the last generation, is hardly an advanced or revolutionary vehicle in the way that 2004 one was. It was meant to have lithium-ion cells, but we found out in January, in fact, in interviews with Toyota technologists that they bet on the wrong chemistry and they couldn't produce it practically so, we ended up with the same old battery pack. Uh, so, so, the Prius is kind of evolutionary at this point. It's a known quantity. The buzz is off. Great. So, number one, and I... have learned not they go plug-in it, in hybrid?
0: The only way they can make a buzz at this point, I think, is to make it more
1: electric. Uh, well, I've driven what they are prototyping right now as the Prius plug-in hybrid. Okay. And I was... I think surprised would be putting it mildly. Did you know that you can plug the thing in, okay? It has a battery pack that's roughly three times the size of a standard Prius lithium pack, and so um, so it's five-point-something kilowatt-hours. So you plug it in, and you can get up to 12 or 13 miles of all-electric range at speeds up to 60-some miles an hour. Great. Okay. 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 But once you deplete that pack – Mm-hmm. It goes back to being a standard Prius. You right. cannot recharge the added battery pack until you get to the wall. Right. right, which is, to me, completely bizarre. Why? Okay. Why is that? Well, because let's say you happen to have a lengthy five mile, mostly downhill road on your commute. Why not right. use that time to recapture energy and recharge the much larger pack? thereby giving you additional electric range. Can't do that. Car won't let you. Huh? Really? Prius, really? The Prius plug-in hybrid okay. that is out there now, Okay. they're going to put 600 of them out there. Yeah. It does not allow you to recharge the extra two-thirds of the battery pack. Once you've depleted that pack, which can only be recharged by plugging it into the wall, you are limited to 1.5 or thereabouts kilowatt hours of battery pack, just like a standard Prius. Um, That was a bit of a surprise to me. So we think that the production vehicle will not actually work that way, but the fact that they're putting it out that way, and frankly, their excuse was, well, the relays aren't designed for frequent use. And I'm sorry, but if there's any <laughs> automaker on the planet that knows how to make reliable electric machinery for hybrid vehicles, it's can well ought to be Toyota, right? Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> anyway. It's <laughs> too funny. So that's my take on the plug-in. All right, so I'm handicapping the whole countering, countering yeah. Nissan and positive PR and buzz at yeah. 40%. Number two was sort of corporate and it's the shakeup theory remember um toyota has a brand new ceo yes his name uh sure. his name is akio toyota he is from the family that founded toyota many years ago um, he's only been in he's been in place less than a year right all ceos need to do something big or many things big when they arrive to cement their power and to point out that in fact, they really are in charge. They are in charge.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: So, um, you know, this is the kind of deal that quite frankly, I think most of the salary men who run Toyota and have run it for a while could not even have conceived of. This is a very bold, very un-Japanese stroke, very un-Toyota stroke. It definitely says attention must be paid. Now, there, and, you know, I also added in some risk. So the risk to this idea of, of the shakeup up is, yes. in fact, nothing much ever happens. So you do the bold stroke, but it doesn't actually do anything to change anything. Or worse sure. yet, suppose Tesla actually fails, you know, publicly, publicly and spectacularly and just goes down in flames, right? That would be a problem for Toyota. Correct. Yeah. The risk to the previous one, by the way, the risk to the whole buzz theory is quite frankly Elon Musk and his ego. Um, he does have this tendency to say things that aren't necessarily quite true at the time he says them, and um, Toyota uh, Toyota needs to watch that particularly. Yeah. No, he
0: is a uh, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an extra added bonus <laughs> for them because I mean I know what happened yeah. with him and Marty, so Marty Eberhart, you know the former. Yeah.
1: Exactly. With, with,
0: um, I'm just trying to mention this for the listeners. And by the way, we can talk after this, and people will hear it on Blog Talk Radio, so we don't have to finish the conversation just based upon the timing
1: here. But, yeah, and um, I, know I'm, I know I'm late, so... so yeah, yeah, no, no, don't years, worry about it, it's cool.
0: Number, and, so uh, number
1: three was fear. I think there is some chance that Toyota really fears that it's losing its technological edge or losing its mojo, um, You know, I talked about the Prius being evolutionary. They've already admitted they bet on the wrong lithium-ion chemistry.
0: You know, they have not yet
1: issued a car with a lithium-ion battery pack, whereas Mercedes-Benz and BMW and Tesla and various other people have or are imminently about to. Um, You know, is, in fact, Toyota's momentum handicapping it from reacting swiftly enough at this inflection point over to cars with bigger battery packs um you know tesla could help them leapfrog the risk there is you know toyota makes the blandest cars in the world but their engineering by and large is tried and true is tesla's well no one knows there's no track record they've now made 1,000 electric vehicles with a battery pack that's assembled out of commodity mobile phone cells and the whole thing's assembled in England by someone else. We don't really know what their engineering is like or how it's going to last. So that's, that's very much an unknown quantity. That's
0: very, number four.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's kind of the, there's only two more.
0: No, no, (laughs) no, no, it's great. This is great. I love
1: it. Go ahead. Kind of the evolutionary thing. You know, I have often wondered and, you know, Toyota has much smarter people than I, whether, the power split hybrid system, their hybrid synergy drive is actually an expensive and unwieldy evolutionary dead end in electric drive. And here's how the argument goes. If you think of, I mean, I've had to write to describe in text how the Toyota system works. And it's a hard thing to explain. You have the planetary gear set, you have two motor generators, you know, which can regenerate or drive or charge or be recharged. And you have software to split power in an infinite number of combinations amongst two electric motors, a battery pack, um, this transmission, and the engine. There are a lot of moving parts to that sucker. And it's expensive, and it's got a lot of electrical machinery in it. Is, over time, the series hybrid approach which is the one used in the Chevrolet Volt, simply going to take over, which is to say you have a larger battery pack, in the case of the Volt, 16 kilowatt hours, but you use solely an electric motor to drive the wheels. And the engine, if you have one as a range extender, cannot mechanically drive the wheels. The only thing that engine does is to turn the generator to provide more electricity to drive the wheels. Now, and what made me think about this is a comment from Tony Pozolot, the vehicle lead on the Volt. He said, almost as a throwaway, you know, Jim has made a point. They're going to assemble their own battery packs. They're going to build and design their own electric motors. And I'm expecting, you know, sort of any month now, they're also going to say we're going into the power electronics business, those being the three major components of electric drive vehicles, right? Okay. So um, – You know they're gonna. They view it as core intellectual property and critical for them to understand how to design and manufacture battery packs, electric motors, and power electronics. But Pozzolot said, sort of as a throwaway, "Oh, we don't really need to make the range extender. Someone's got a better range extender. We'll buy it." So all of a sudden, what they're saying is, you know, they're using a 1.4 liter gas engine as their range extender, and they basically had that on the shelf, and they're going (laughs) to tune it a little bit, but. They don't need to make the range extender. It's the drive stuff. It's the electric stuff, the electric machines. They view as core. So something like Lotus's little 900-cc three-cylinder engine. Yes. You know, if Lotus can make a really small, really high-efficiency range extender, sure, GM could buy it. Yes. Right. But yeah. What about a microturbine? Really smooth. None of this engine stopping and starting problem. You know, micro, basically a microturbine hooked to a generator as a range extender is a very, very tiny electric power plant. Yes, your electric power plant. Correct, correct. Yeah, so if, in fact, we see, as I believe, a whole new generation of engines and other torque-generating devices like microturbines Mm -hmm. whose sole purpose is to be range extenders, and if we, over time, get the cost of electric motors and battery packs and so forth down, maybe all of the moving parts of a Toyota hybrid synergy drive system over time become more expensive. And instead of this power split hybrid with a smaller battery pack, maybe in 10 years by 2020 for those times when you simply can't do a full battery electric, you know, whether it's a car the size of a Ford crown Victoria, or you need a car that has the performance that, requires a range extender because you can't afford that much battery pack or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, for the time when you have a series hybrid, you know, maybe you have this variety of specialized range extenders, but the costs have come down to the point because the nice thing about range extenders is they don't have to handle the power transients demanded of a Mm -hmm. gasoline engine. Mm
0: -hmm. They only have
1: to run at a couple speeds And, you know, at a constant – and you can tune them to be really, really, really efficient. Oh, I bet you. Yeah, very good. Right. So, you know, if, in fact, Toyota's seeing an end game for hybrid synergy drive or the plug-in versions of hybrid synergy drive, and the plug-in thing is even worse because then you've got the cost of a larger battery pack, albeit not a volt size pack, but then once you plug it in, instead of having a standard pack – you know, you're multiplying by a factor of three or four. You've got the worst of both worlds. You've got all of this complex moving hardware, but a, a higher cost pack.
0: And so Toyota to thinks, buy it.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Like, I'm, I'm waiting to judge until I find out what comes into the dealership in 2012. But, I, like I said, I was surprised. The, the risk here <laughs> is that by buying Tesla to get access to electric drive, there's not a lot of risk. I think the question is, does Tesla actually really have real technology and intellectual property that makes the company worth half a billion dollars? We don't know. That stuff they keep very close to the chest. Then the final and fifth reason that Toyota might be doing this, this was a fun article to do, as you can tell.
0: I, this is, I can t- that's why I'm just letting you go, man. I can see this. Uh, this is fun. This
1: is fun. So go ahead. It's the Keep Lexus it problem. Yeah, no, this
0: is cool. This is great.
1: Um, if you think about hybrid cars, what hybrids is Toyota known for? Prius, right? Right. Name me a Lexus hybrid that's actually had any measurable impact.
0: Yeah, I, I, yep, true. true. Because,
1: you know, the I drove the, the HS, which it's was going to be their big, their big uh, kind of uh, – their big, new, first dedicated Lexus hybrid. And to me, it's a very uncomfortable, or uncomfortable is the wrong word, it's fairly comfortable to ride in. It's a very awkward crossbreed of Prius and Lexus, which is to say it has some of the unusual driving characteristics of a Prius, plus more than 600 pounds of luxury stuff on top of it. But it's not as smooth seamless or flowing power or pleasant as a real luxury lexus and now lexus is going even further off base they're bringing in a ct200h hatchback you know if you think about the image of lexus as a luxury brand that theoretically competes with mercedes-benz and bmw right a compact hatchback hybrid is not what you think of so the problem is really, Lexus has done okay in the luxury field, although it's worth noting that over half of Lexus sold in this country are the RX crossover. But you know they have a good brand in luxury; they're just not cutting it in hybrids.
0: So suppose
1: you take what Tesla is, which mm-hmm. is performance electric cars, and you, you add Teslas into the Lexus dealership. So you got the luxury on the the luxury over in the one half of the showroom with Lexus, and you've got the electric green performance over in the other half of the showroom for Tesla. And look at the
0: Tesla's left and right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could definitely expand the sales for Tesla. Tesla, you know, Tesla's distribution strategy with company owned stores has always been slow.
0: Terrible. Well, it's terrible if you're um, wanting to be an emerging company because then you have to build in brick and mortar every time. Exactly. And, and,
1: exactly. And, and. Not to mention which you piss off the dealer associations because in most states it's illegal for a car company to sell a car to a consumer. Ah. They are required by law oh, to right. sell it through an independently owned third party that's because right. yeah. auto dealers and their associations have spent three quarters of a century donating lavishly to state politicians to get those laws passed <laughs> to protect their business. What is- <laughs> but um, <laughs> So, of like, in uh, any as event, a quick segue,
0: or as a quick note, kind of like BP did with those oil standards on the oil rigs, right? On the safety standards for those oil rigs, but that's a whole other
1: thing. Very discussion. possibly. I must admit, I haven't actually read in depth about that. I've just read the headlines, so I don't know that I have anything intelligent to say on that one. But I could, let's say I could certainly imagine it to be within the realm of possibility, especially during an administration that tended to favor more deregulation. Correct. All right. Correct. So... Uh-huh. And the last point, really, about Tesla, Tesla's venture-funded. I happen to work for a venture-funded company that publishes, high, you know, publishes green car reports. You know, it, It's pretty well known what happens to venture-funded companies. Out of any 10, five of them vanish without a trace. If you're, lu- if you're a lucky and good and small, consistent venture capitalist, of the remaining five or maybe remaining four, Mm -hmm. you might get two or three base hits. You know, if you're lucky, one of them will be a double and one of them will be a home run. Now, a base hit consists of being able to get the money out that you invested or maybe a little bit more. Maybe you take whatever the company built and you sell it for parts. Everybody gets fired, but some intellectual property gets sold, whatever. But if you get one double and one home run out of every 10, even if most of the rest vanishes, Right. You're, you're in the money. The end game for Tesla, because it is a venture funded startup, has always been for the company to be sold to someone else. Yes. And, you know, the only people who buy car companies are other car companies. Oh, um, right. right. So Tesla was always going to be sold to one of the big OEMs. It was just a question which one. And oh, frankly, right. none of us really expected it to be Toyota, and it may not be yet. I think Daimler will probably quietly get out of Tesla, I think they've concluded, whether for technical reasons or for strategic reasons, that Tesla is not going to be their partner. And frankly, you know, German car companies haven't necessarily bought in outside brands either, with oh, the yeah. notable exception of Chrysler, and we all know how that one turned out.
0: That went be a really well <laughs> <laughs> not- so,
1: um You know, will Tesla end up owned by Toyota? It's possible, too early to tell. But those five reasons, I think, pretty much cover the range of what Toyota might be thinking it's going to get out of this deal, which to some extent remains to be fleshed out, or at least the details remain to be publicized. But that was kind of, that was the interesting one to me over the last month. You know, the LEAF leaf sales were remarkable and good. Uh, there's some data this morning. Um, not that this should be really a surprise, but you know who all of those leaf hand raisers were? Prius owners. Over 50% of the people who indicated interest in the leaf to sure. Nissan in any form are, or have been Prius owners. Interesting. Yeah. In the same way, you know, it's funny when we talk about some of the infrastructure stuff for EVs, um, I, it's pretty well accepted at this point that even the predicted rollout of EVs is not going to have a noticeable impact on the grid. It's not like yeah. we're going to be dumping 50 million EVs onto the grid.
0: Not yet. Even, no. No.
1: You know, it, yeah. There's a very nice study out there, the EPRI NRDC study, that sort of looked at all of these issues. What the utilities are afraid of is what they call the Prius cluster problem, which is that if you have a cul-de-sac, 12 luxury homes on it, and two or three of them get electric cars within the same year. You do run the risk of overloading your neighborhood transformer. Yeah, the transformers now, can pop. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, I don't have a huge amount of sympathy because they, they have lots of people who spend all of their time projecting when they need to routinely upgrade their stuff. Yeah, I
0: don't have any sympathy for the utilities on a, a transformer popping at all. And they are
1: well, and they are going to end up selling you fuel. And making more money off They're it. making so a lot thing.
0: more money on that than, that than installing that
1: transformer. So Right. You know. Well, and the nice thing is, by calling them Prius clusters, they essentially nod to the fact that they pretty much know what those first neighborhoods are going to be. They're going to be affluent. Right. They're going to be relatively progressive. In fact, they're the places where people have already bought Priuses. And you can probably get that data. Work with the car companies and/or the DMVs. You know, people know where Prius live. Those right. are the neighborhoods where you want to sort of prioritize the transformers. And to that you know, to their credit, Southern California Edison actually has been aggressively reaching out to Southern Californians and saying, "You're thinking about buying an electric car? Tell us that. Tell us where you live. Please tell right. us you know who you are, so they can plan for it as well." But um, that's a
0: fantastic just, point. That is a fantastic point. You know that. It, it, that not many people bring up is that if you are getting an electric car and you're not going to try and do it solar and non-grid connected, tell your utility because all they can do is prepare that street for your additional electrical load. Mm-hmm. And that will save you. Unfortunately, if something else bad happens, at least it has nothing to do with you know, the popping you know, additional load for your car. You never have to worry about that because they'll take care of it. So they'll even upsize for it. I guess is what you're saying, which is great. So that's a great point. Thank you. And let's be real; it's not like
1: they are turning away the idea that they can sell your household a third more power or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What they want is for you to buy the power at the right time, which is to say the trough of their demand cycle, which is you know 11 till 5 in the morning. Right. But you know there will be lots and lots of incentives and you know sticks to get you to reach plug in your car overnight as opposed to between you know one and four in the afternoon on hot muggy days. Um, but oh no, you no, know you're it's
0: doing it for load leveling purposes, which is you know what the utilities love. But if you can,
1: I'm frankly a skeptic. There, it's from the people I've talked to. It's sure. going to be a very, very, very long time before this business of v to g has any practical impact. well, oh, I'm
0: not talking about that. I'm just talking about ah. the idea that an electric utility would love the idea of a more electric load at night.
1: Oh, from making the, the trough shallower a. and lowering the peak. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. agreed. Totally. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, okay, that's sorry. That's the only
0: thing. I mean, no, 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 v to g is a wonderful concept, but it is so not there, unfortunately, yet, because we haven't even gotten to – Phase one, which is putting electric cars in, in good numbers on the road today. We're not there yet. Once you start right. getting there, then you start worrying about advancing your infrastructure to a phase two, which would then be V to G and then smart grid. And
1: I would argue that actually phase one is what we got today. Mm-hmm. Phase two is you know prevalent smart grid. V to G is probably about phase four. Because even with smart grid, which is to say, you know, variable pricing, maybe variable pricing signals, um, you know, you've got to get to the point where the cars can talk to the network. And that's where GM actually has an advantage because basically – They're
0: doing it already, aren't they, kind of, with that that OnStar? I mean, a little bit? I could be wrong.
1: uh, But but the, the thing about the Volt is, you can recharge it in about five or six hours using 110 power. What? So, wow. yeah, The Volt, you're only putting in eight kilowatt hours. Well, that's not a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Volt is a 16-kilowatt-hour pack, and it's got 100% redundancy for the 10-year life. I, I
0: think the Volt is a game-changer, but that's just me, because nobody else has put out, in a, as somebody else told me, a hybrid drive system like that. Nobody's yeah. done it. So, it's the first one out the box. And it's going to change up the whole market space. And I know people that are just regular, you know, not advanced technology, early adopter types, you know, that like the idea. You get your electric car when you want me to. But then Mm -hmm. when I'm done, I can feel that I'm driving a car that I know. That's okay with me. Yeah. That's okay.
1: You know, know, it it takes about 20 minutes. For people to get past, oh, my God, I'm driving an electric <laughs> it doesn't car. Take, yeah,
0: it doesn't take long at all. And
1: then all of a sudden, it's just you're driving a regular car. It's when you go back into an old-fashioned combustion engine car, and all of a sudden you notice the engine node is always rising and falling, and the transmission is shifting, and <laughs> all of this stuff is happening. That way too much stuff with.
0: going on. Yeah, uh, way where? too much stuff going on. Way too many volatile moving parts that just don't need to be there. It's so simple. That's why the greatness of an electric car is. You know. I, and I'll bring this up, which is kind of an interesting point. I like the idea of, you know, and I had said it to Elon Musk, that building he was kind of like building his own electric car, and thank you for doing that, which is the concept of building your own electric vehicle, too, getting innovative and at least trying to do that. Um, even if it's a car company, or it's an individual that says, "Look, I'm not going to convert this car because I'm not a mechanic, but I'm going to go and find a guy that can do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give him my car and have him do it." Which happens about nine out of ten times. I mean, I've been at conversion shops, and he's doing jobs for guys where they've given him a car and they do a conversion. That's what happens. Is there any
1: data on how many conversions get done in it per year?
0: I Bet you there is, because you can do it based on DMV records, based Mm. upon uh, when you submit applications for changing, you get VIN numbers that are just changed from gas to electric, because that's all it is. Mm. Because that's all the DMV requires. At least in the state of New York, when you go to change over, because it already has a VIN number, right? Mm. You just change engine type, in that little box of engine type, from gas uh, to electric, that's all you do, and everything else goes out the window. There's no you know major massive scrutiny going on or anything like that. It's just uh, here you go here's your plates
1: yeah nice interesting i i you know i I have many friends who have been converters or have driven converted cars. I think over time you know. As soon as the real automakers start selling real electric cars, which will be at the end of this year, right. um, the conversion market will seem less attractive, except to the same people who may be hot rodders or tinkerers or whatnot. Correct. Because yes, um, you know, unless or until the parts get so inexpensive that it becomes cheaper. I think about you know hot rodders, for instance. You know, until it becomes cheaper to put a 40-mile battery pack and an electric motor in your 23T bucket, and right. you can still, you know, you can still get the acceleration of a V8. You just don't have the noise, which, is, which may be part of the attraction. But, you know, until we're there and this stuff is really componentized, it's, you either end up using lead-acid batteries, which are heavy, low-performance, but cheap, Or, you know, you get into these conversions that are five figures. And I'm I think the market for a conversion that costs ten grand or more is quite small. But, you know, we'll we'll see. I I tend to focus more on vehicles from car makers anyway because that's what the majority of my audience. Well that's that's
0: what your life is. All I mean, as as the concept of build your own electric vehicle goes out, it's it, it also shows that there's always a wax and wane. On the electric vehicle market, or it has been over the history of time, mm-hmm. and the one thing that's kind of always remained out there are electric vehicles and it's it's in a historical thing it teaches you about in the book itself about you know electric motors, controllers, batteries, it tells you about all the specific componentry for making an electric car and how they make it and how simple it is it 's not Necessarily saying to you, even if you get a, like I said in the book, if somebody gets a Prius, I'm okay with that because that's one step closer to an electric car than they were before. Mm-hmm. And exactly. For, and for one person, and you know, but here's how you convert a car to all electric and how seamless it really is. Yeah. And I think that was really in Bob Brandt's vision. You know, uh, as I read his version of the book initially, it was to try and expand the concept of electric cars out there, out there to the world. And I think yeah. that my goal was to say, let's build a cars that are electric. And since that's happened, maybe there haven't been a ton of electric vehicle conversions is in comparison to announcements of electric cars. But there have been a lot of announcements
1: <laughs> of electric cars.
0: And I think that hey, if if you know, I can or anybody can take one step toward discussing that and making that an issue. It only helps, right?
1: Yeah, and I think your point about the Prius being most people's exposure to an electric car is a very important one. That yes.
0: it's um, very true. Yeah. Should
1: be underlined because you know I you may have heard this before. I tell the story a lot, but um, about a year and a half ago, uh, my mother bought a Ford Escape Hybrid, um, which is actually a very practical car for her personal duty cycle, which is mostly running around town and hauling stuff around. And to my complete shock, um, my parents, and in particular, my mom, have become hypermilers. They compete with each other about what mileage readout they got on the same trip to the store Yes. And my mother, who is a woman of a certain age, she'd shoot me if I said what that was, but she's a woman of a certain age, okay. um, enjoys, yes. enjoys showing off to her friends how far she can go yes. on electric power without the engine switching on. Yes. And to say, to say that was <clears throat> a shock was an yes. understatement, but it points out that every time she does that, she's exposing three or four other people to what it's like to ride in an electric car And they learn that, in fact, you know, electric cars do come from real makers like Ford and Toyota and so forth. Correct. And so that combined with the fact that everybody now plugs something in at night, their cell phone, you know, people are a lot more ready, I think, for the changes, you know, the fairly minimal changes really required for an electric vehicle than they may have been 10 years ago. With just a number of these things coming together. Well,
0: it's also to, to complement what you're saying. I think technological advancements of even such basic things as the computer. Have, oh, absolutely. Has, have have transformed. I mean, we're now at an iPad, where the, basically an iPad, in my opinion, is a large phone with you know, or internet surfer with with Microsoft Word. Yeah. You know, it's that two hundred dollars special that you originally got as a flip you know, the little laptop, but now it's just this hand thing. And yeah, well, yeah,
1: except we're talking more like $700 for an iPad, but that's mm. out.
0: No, thank you. <laughs> anyway,
1: <laughs> it's an interesting question for car design, though, because the, you know, the product cycles are so much quicker in consumer electronics, things like iPads and phones. You know, you have to freeze your car design basically 18 months before they hit the dealership, in which time you've gone through a complete generation. Of consumer electronics so this question of how do consumer electronics interface into cars I mean you can still buy a new car today where you can't connect your iPod and that you know the iPod's been around since 2000 right or 2001
0: so it's going to
1: be interesting to see as we increasingly live digitally and live connected when how long will it take to get to the point where the car is internet connected all the time and how do you you know how do you blend that with the fact that you do still have to pay attention behind the wheel because you're conducting something that weighs two tons at 75 miles an hour. Yes. Um, so it's... We're not... It's, yes.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be the pace there of change
1: is, if anything, increasing. And it's, fas- it's a fascinating time for me, I think, and for you to cover the industry. So. Oh, it's,
0: it's amazing. And, and I, I find it really amazing, uh, which is only at moving the whole market space forward is how... M- this whole electric vehicle program that Ford is doing includes Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're completely connecting the whole electronic system into a thing where I believe Microsoft wants to get into the power electronics division.
1: Uh, Microsoft clearly wants to be in your car, and the sync system has been, I think, unexpectedly successful for Ford. There's some data out there that says that you know the fact that Ford has Sync available has won them customers they would not otherwise have, and Sync has added something like four or five hundred dollars in and of itself to the resale value of a car. Um, wow. So you know there really is there really is a demand among consumers for smartly designed and theoretically safe implementations of greater connectivity. In cars, But it's a, it's a tough problem to figure out how to do it when you're designing a car to accommodate consumer electronics devices that haven't been invented yet, but will be by the time it hits the showrooms. So listen, if I could, can I do my own little three-second promo for Green Car Reports here? Of
0: course you can.
1: You, can, you can learn more about all of this on <laughs> Green Car Reports, which is www.greencarreports.com. We cover electric vehicles, plug-ins of all sorts, hybrids, as well as clean diesels, other alternative fuel vehicles, and in general, the the single theme around what is a green car, which is something you can argue over adult beverages for hours, is fuel efficiency and working to provide yourself with transport that's done more efficiently using less of the planet's resources. Um, so I actually apologize, but I'm going to have to... No,
0: this is the perfect time for you to head out. You know, this is good. We've had a great discussion here. Everybody should just definitely check out John at uh, greencarreports.com. Uh, I'm going to be, I guess, starting to uh, write up a little bit more on electric cars or hybrids or whatever for uh, John and other websites. I'm going to be... Um, on Mother Earth News as well, going soon, and uh, a couple of other places. But uh, definitely check me out at Green Car Reports. There's a couple of books that are already talked about there, and who knows what else. But they're a great site for everyone out there that's looking to go fuel-efficient green. And uh, so the lesson of the day is, as I always say, one small step at a time, to going green you don't have to jump headed first and get that solar panel immediately <laughs> take your small steps right you know so to to you know like one day when i was interviewing you know uh a ted and it's it's green car reports or it's you know when you're you know or not green car reports it's oceana.org or you know ta- learning about our oceans and ironically right before the interview was we did it before the bp oil spill so it's, it's very interesting how things happen, and so hey, read those green car reports, people, because who knows what can happen. <laughs> and read,
1: buy, and read Seth's books. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well, they, you we should definitely all, you know, um, just get get the word out, and one small step at a time. And, and I think that uh, we're all doing our part to to move the marketplace forward, and I think that's what. One good thing you also mentioned, which is another good lesson for today, is that you're never going to realize how much you're going to love your hybrid car until you get into one. And in about four minutes in, you're going to love it, and you're going to realize how efficient you can be and how you can do hypermiling. And you're going to love hypermiling, and you're going to love regenerative braking and how it saves you energy. In fact, I talked about that in a Planet Green article on how regenerative braking saves energy and how great it is for people and how they love it and how it makes them feel more like they're going to save energy and going green. So this is, you know, those are the two steps for the day. Green car reports, and if you got a hybrid or you get a hybrid, do that, regenerative braking. Save some energy. John, thanks a lot, man. Have a great one. Thank you. Take care. Look forward
1: to it. Take care, Seth.
0: Bye-bye.